with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. On today's show, new trends in China's Spring Festival tourism and consumption, and we will also take a look at the global AI governance. And now, let's begin with our top story. Across China, vibrant Spring Festival celebrations are underway as the nation is in its most crucial holiday season. The Chinese Lunar New Year is about homecomings. Chunyun, or the Spring Festival Travel Rush, is the world's largest annual human migration. This year, Chunyun is expected to set a new record of nine billion passenger trips during the 40-day travel peak. And the traditional practice of family reunion is no longer the sole focus. An increasing number of individuals want to celebrate Spring Festival by traveling to various destinations. Meanwhile, watching new blockbuster movies has become a cherished part of the season. And China's leading online shopping platforms also capitalize on the traditional high spending season. Kuaishou's popular retail platform has nearly doubled its orders this year. So to better understand the new trends in China's Spring Festival tourism and spending, and what does all this mean for China's economy, join us on the line now are Chen Jiahe, Chief Investment Officer at Novem Archi Technologies, Liu Baocheng, Professor with the University of International Business and Economics, and also Yan Liang, Professor of Economics, Willamette University. So Jiahe, I will start with you. We are now in the Spring Festival holiday season. So how do you celebrate? Celebrate the Lunar New Year. Are you traveling? Well, you, you could say I'm traveling. I'm coming to uh, Hainan province uh, and to visit uh, my relative here. So, so it's kind of traveling or staying at your uh, own family. That's you know that's probably the same thing for me. It's not much much difference. But I can see people here are really uh, traveling from all over the country to spend their Lunar New Year in Hainan, especially a lot of people from the northeast provinces, because the northeast provinces is pretty cold during the winter, so they're coming to Hainan to spend this holiday uh, with the warmer weather. Mm. And so, Yen, this year the Spring Festival travel rush is expected to set a new record of 9 billion passenger trips during the 40-day travel peak. So what do this figure tell us? Right. Good to talk to you, Zhao Yang. Happy New Year. So yes, this is a record-setting uh, new number. I think last year um, there were about 4.7 billion trips, and this year it is expected to reach 9 billion. So I think that really shows, I think, two things. One is that you know people's life now are going to sort of return to a sort of new normalcy. Uh, you know, Spring Festival has been the festival where people visit back home and also travel. Um, and that was interrupted by the pandemic. And last year, you know, people start to return to the normalcy. They start to travel again. And now I think this year, this kind of trend consolidated. Um, people would travel, you know, to see their family members and also, um, you know, uh, do some tourism either within the country or uh, go abroad. 
Um, so that ind indicates that, you know, again, um, people's lives are going back to the normalcy. And the second, I think what it indicates is that, you know, the economy continues to recover, people's confidence starts to uh, continue to be strengthened. Um, so they're going to, you know, spend money, they're going to travel, and they're going to, you know, enjoy themselves during the holiday uh, breaks. So I think this is a good sign. And hopefully this kind of momentum, you know, with consumption, with consumer spending, it's going to continue uh, because we do know, you know, service sector is a very important part um, of Chinese economy. And, you know, just last year, the uh, retail uh, uh, services has increased by 20% year on year. So if this momentum can continue on, this will definitely help to boost her to boost the Chinese economy. Mm -hmm. So Baocheng, the traditional practice of uh, family reunion is no longer the sole focus for this season. And an increasing number of uh, individuals want to celebrate the Spring Festival by traveling. So what do you make of this new trend? Well, uh, the Chinese society uh, has been in a rapid uh, changing in terms of their culture, and particularly due to the urbanization process, more of the uh, younger people, they get their families in the city uh, to begin with uh, as a migrating worker, and then they get more and more detached actually from their hometown, uh, which I think is really a social progress, a uh, new fashion of uh, conception, uh, really uh, are there to propel them to care more about health in their uh, in the conception pattern and uh, also the communication uh, is uh, getting so fast people can instantly talk to their uh, family members on a daily basis uh, so therefore uh, the type of uh, physical union becomes uh, less and less important and then there's also a sort of emancipation for people after the the COVID, and now uh, when everything is returning to normal, they really wanted to compensate themselves by uh, spreading their footprint to many parts of the world. And uh, now we also notice that there is also a rising aid from the uh, artificial intelligence. I, I notice people around me, they buy uh, the robots at home and the uh, play was the intelligent watches and even goggles. So uh, it's really a diversified uh, pattern for people to consume and for people to enjoy uh, mm. the spring festival. Mm -hmm. A lot of tourism and spending. So Yan, for the domestic tourism, Hainan in southern China has been a hot destination for winter in the past uh, several years. But Harbin in the northeast China has become the hottest destination this winter. So what has changed and why is Harbin so appealing? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think, you know, you know, the very well-known places like Beijing, Shanghai, Shenzhen, Guangzhou, Chengdu, uh, these are still ranking very high in terms of tourist destination. But you're right, Harbin now ranked six, the top six, uh, in terms of uh, the most, you know, travel destination. And I think one of the reasons, of course, is, you know, as we know, the government, the businesses, and also the local Harbin residents, they're really trying to attract tourists. They have put up, you know, this uh, really spectacular ice and snow sculptures, you know, 1,000 of them uh, to have this kind of, you know, ice uh, world, ice festival to attract a lot of uh, tourists. 
Um, then you also have, you know, businesses that are doing the hot balloon rides, they do, you know, bonfire parties. So a lot of the new experiences that attract uh, people. And then not to mention, you know, the local people are very hospitable. They, you know, offer free rides to some tourists, for example. So all these, I think, become very attractive. And then on top of that, you have the social media that I think really play a very important role uh, in showing case, you know, uh, the wonderful attractions in Harbin and that, you know, also showcase the, the wonderful experiences people have. And so I think that really attracts a lot of people. And then from the demand side, again, we, we have, you know, not only people who are really ready to spend money and go travel and experience different cultures, different, you know, sceneries, but we also have, you know, as uh, Professor Liu talked about, a lot of the younger millenniums and Gen Z, um, they really wanted to have something new. They want to experience something different. So I think all of this together, you know, generate the sort of a perfect storm um, that, you know, there are a lot of traveling and travel, travel also to, you know, some of the less well-known places. And I think that trend is going to continue on. So it is a great opportunity, I think, for many localities to put up their, you know, uh, unique cultural attractions. Um, and, you know, do very well in terms of how, you know, they uh, receive the, the, the tourists and would really, you know, take on the bandwagon of promoting local tourism. Mm. And Jiahe, so in light of the impressive success of the cities such as Harbin this year and Zibo last year, so how can other cities learn from their experiences to attract visitors? Well, I think in order to attract visitors, especially in this new world where you had a um, you know a lot of new media stuff, live streaming, all sorts of things, I think there are a few points that for the other cities to learn that if they want to make a successful uh, tourism industry, the first is that you you really have to have something really interesting to attract the people. I mean, look at Zibui, got a lot of barbecue shops. I mean. It's not many cities around this country it has so many uh, barbecue shops. And Harbin is even more particular that it got a very good winter, a lot of snow. I mean, you don't have this much snow in many other provinces of China. Uh, I think it's probably 80 to 85 percent of the population is not having this much snow uh, during the winter. So the first thing is that you really have to get something to attract the people. The second is that you have to broadcast yourself on the new media let people know that you have all these things uh, that's very important because nowadays people just get so much information from live streaming from short video compared with before people now read less books uh, less articles uh, they watch less tv but they spend much more time on the new media so mm. just tell them what you have in the new media is very important and the third point is that you have to treat the tourists really well uh, which means you have to get a market that is very matured hotels market supervision uh, good taxis all these kind of things so you have to do this really well that people will enjoy visiting the city at last so these are three very important issues Mm -hmm. So Jia He, just now we talk about the domestic tourism. For overseas tourism, China has reached a series of visa-free agreements with countries like Thailand, Malaysia and Singapore. So do you expect more Chinese to you know, travel to those countries during the Spring Festival? 
Sure. I mean, if you look at the international traveling of the Chinese people, it's been gradually in, uh, increasing or rebounding back since uh, the beginning of last year after the COVID is finished. Um, but the, the rate is actually, uh, the, well, the growth rate has been slower compared with the domestic traveling, basically because Chinese people, uh, they always need a special assistance if they go to a foreign country, because it's not many countries in the world that speak Chinese. I mean, it's probably just a few countries like uh, Singapore or Malaysia that you can find a lot of Chinese speaker and probably some cities of Canada. But in most other cities, you don't have a lot of um, Chinese speaking local locals. So the Chinese people need the assistance of travel agencies, translators, tourism guides to help them uh, to go to the other countries to visit. Uh, so for the three years of the fighting against the COVID, many of these companies have shifted their businesses and translators have changed their jobs. So now it takes time to re-employ them back. So that's why we see the international traveling of the Chinese people is actually slower compared with the domestic traveling. But it is growing and gradually growing. And a slower recovery means that this recovery is going to take a longer pace, probably in this year as well, next year as well. So you will see that the uh, international traveling of Chinese people to be gradually increasing in the next 24 months. And with all these visa-free um, programs that has been conducted between China and many other countries, especially like Singapore and Thailand, uh, you will definitely see more Chinese people go to these countries as well as these countries people coming to China. Mm. And Jiaxue, so besides traveling, spending on goods and entertainment is also booming. And people in Northeast China crowded into the open markets to purchase the New Year goods, enjoy local cuisines, etc., etc. So what do you think people will spend their money on, especially during the spring festival season? Does this reflect any new trends of the consumption? Well, for the consumption market, I think there are a few trends. First is that the overall consumption market is keep on growing. That's if you look at the uh, the percentage of consumption in the Chinese economy right now, and you compare this percentage with matured economies around the world, you will find that Chinese people are consuming less compared with the GDP. So the percentage of consumption is lower in China compared with mature economies. And you can see that the growth of the consumption market is uh, faster than many other economic uh, sectors like industry, export, investment, all these kind of things. So consumption is going to lead the Chinese economic growth in the next decade. Another trend is that Chinese people used to spend a lot of money on either the real estate or uh, the, the consumption items relating with real estate, for example, fridge, uh, washing machine, you know, TV sets, all these kind of things. When you buy a new home, you buy two sets of new air conditioner, all these kind of things. But now with the slowing down of the real estate market, this means Chinese people are shifting their consumption from the focus on the real estate and the real estate um, related items toward other items. I mean, daily items that include a lot of things like restaurants, um, shopping, supermarkets, you know, traveling, all these kind of things. That's why we see that the traveling market uh, the tourism market has actually been uh, rising quite uh, rapidly in this winter. Mm -hmm. I think the data from Hainan province said their airline ticket has been rising 10% this year compared with last year, basically because they're having, uh, you know, way more tourists.
Mm. Well, the New Year's Eve dinner is also quite important Chinese traditions. So, Baocheng, with the urban lifestyles become faster, fewer people are now cooking, and more people are choosing the ready-made or pre-made dishes instead. There are, of course, the pros and cons. So, what are the culture or traditional, you know, implications of this change, and how do you see this uh, ready-made food industry? Will it be booming? Well, uh, comfort and convenience are always on the agenda uh, as the uh, social, uh, cultural uh, evolvement, and uh, uh, now yes, the, this also represents the uh, further specialization among uh, people in terms of division of labor, and therefore uh, people calculate how much time and money they're going to spend uh, versus the uh, buying uh, some of the external services. So therefore. Food delivery becomes a, a more, more of a, a popular culture, and that can really uh, give the uh, people more time for leisure and do things they uh, they really like. And uh, in in the same way, we can see that a competition drives those uh, restaurants and uh, or central kitchens uh, to uh, deliver better service and better quality of their food. And uh, you know, some rich families even invite chefs uh, from uh, different restaurants to cook for them at home uh, in order to entertain uh, their guests, etc. So this is really a trendsetter. And uh, now I, I can see that uh, uh, this uh, will further push forward uh, not only the specialization of labor uh, in the society, but also. Uh, to push forward the improvement in terms of the quality of the food and services uh, in the catering industry. Mm -hmm. So, Yan, do you agree with uh, Bao Chang on that? I, I totally agree. I do think that it brings convenience. Um, it also, you know, basically, if you don't have to cook a lot, but you can enjoy still gourmet food with your family and spend more time with your family members, I think that is a win-win. And especially, you know, for people like me, right, and many others who live abroad. You know, when we have these made, ready-made uh, cuisines that were made in China but exported to the United States, you know, the luo si fen, um, mm. you know, that's a great treat. Um, so some of these very classic Chinese uh, local foods that are able to enjoy it elsewhere around the world, um, I think that is totally a great bonus um, for the rest of us. Yes. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, actually, my wife has been complaining uh, over the last two days by having to entertain so many people and doing all the cooking, etc., so probably I'm getting too old to be adaptive. But uh, yeah, I will try uh, to uh, really to buy some of the external services at home uh, when we have too many nieces and nephews and many other friends visiting our house. Mm, because this is new trends. So Jiahe, in the year 2023, consumption actually contributed to over 80% of China's GDP growth. And some say the anticipated spending over the Lunar New Year signals the country's steady economic recovery. So how optimistic are you about China's economy in the year 2024? And what can China do to boost the consumption further? Well, if, if we look at 2024, we have enough reasons to expect a pretty good year, basically because the impact of real estate has been diminishing. I mean, the real estate market is stabilizing right now. That is to say that the economic growth in China in this year 
are having much less burden compared with last year. Uh, and if you look into the long term, the current Chinese per capita GDP is about 13,000 USD. Uh, and I think uh, there, there should no be, uh, be no problem for us to see that at least this economy will achieve 20,000 uh, USD per capita in you know probably just a few years or five or 10 years. So mm-hmm. this is something that we can really expect. Mm-hmm. So we're speaking with Chen Jiahe, Chief Investment Officer at Novem Architect Technologies, Yan Liang, Professor of Economics, Willamette University, and also Liu Baocheng, Professor with the University of International Business and Economics. And after a short break, we'll take a look at the global AI governance. Stay with us. Go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. You're listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. China has expressed its readiness to participate in the global efforts to promote the ethical governance of artificial intelligence for the benefit of humanity. Vice Education Minister Wang Jiayi made those remarks at a UNESCO forum held in Slovenia this week. And representatives from 67 countries convened there to discuss inclusive approaches to AI governance. So, yeah. I will start with you. So first, what's the current worldwide progress on the AI development? Right. So I think the AI market has been really growing very rapidly. Um, I think with the generative AI, especially like ChatGPT, and now they're you know uh, putting forth uh, even newer versions of it, and it's more powerful. And then we have all these machine learning and also predictive AI that has been, you know, popularizing. And many of the companies are investing. And so the market is getting greater and greater and bigger, and it's ex- projected to continue to grow. And so AI is going to affect many of the sectors in the economy, you know, from man- manufacturing to consumer uh, industries to, you know, many of the other uh, sectors. And according to the IMF, you know, the AI would affect 40% of the global jobs. So this is going to be very prominent. And so I think with that, it's important to have the regulatory framework in place. And this needs to be, you know, international in nature because, you know, a lot of these AI utilized data, um, the output can be utilized, you know, uh, in many different locations out of a, you know, national boundary. And also, you know, in terms of data privacy issues, um, a lot of these needs to be coordinated uh, across different nations. Um, and I think, you know, the Chinese um, uh, government officials would also uh, voicing some of the concerns about the unequal access to AI. So all of these mean that we need to have a good preemptive, you know, regulatory system that would help to not only promote AI development, but more importantly, to make sure that AI is utilized in an ethical way to the benefits of the great majority of the people. Mm-hmm. So, Baocheng, what do you think are the challenges and opportunities in regulating the global AI industry? Well, the uh, AI development is going to bring a revolutionary changes in people's life and also in p- uh, how people relate with each other and uh, also how people relate with their uh, existing occupation, etc. So now it's just uh, a uh, rising industry that uh, usher in the uh, greater prospect. Of course, you know, for any type of uh, technological innovation, there has been fear, 
uh, you know, there has been uh, now, particularly with uh, artificial intelligence, because, uh, you know, the, the worry is that uh, uh, they're going to be uh, uh, exposed to misuse. And then uh, particularly now uh, when the artificial intelligence is uh, conducting on uh, deep um, machine learning and they, uh, the deeper worry is that they may get really in independent from human control. And so, and then uh, right now, there's another concern that uh, there's going to be a digital divide between the developed world and also developing world in terms of the access to information, in terms of the uh, the way that uh, uh, how uh, the artificial intelligence is going to be governed to service uh, a bigger majority of humanity or to service a, a bunch of elites. So these are really uh, the new issues that are, are there, but uh, the trend is there. So uh, uh, all in all, how we can really boost innovation, but in the meantime, to uh, ensure that uh, they are going to be used in the uh, most ethical, responsible, and accountable way. Mm. So, Jianghe, actually, people are talking about protecting people's privacy, finding the best use for AI in education, uh, making sure that it's not used for malicious purpose. Those are imperative. But can you elaborate more on those goals? And, for example, how to make good use of AI in education and how to make the good use of AI in your field the financial sector well if you look at the ai something really new to us i mean i think if you if we look at the viewpoint of maybe say 100 years later then we're talking about a very early age of the artificial intelligence right now i mean most of the programs is still quite primitive and many people uh, you know we still don't have a very good use of the ai at the moment there are really a lot of things to increase in the future and uh, but currently we, we have seen that ai has been pretty useful in the education sector mm. basically because education sector especially for the primary education i mean not like universities or PhDs, but for the primary education, uh, it's basically concluding the knowledge of what human beings has accumulated and teach it to the children. So this is uh, compared to the research and development developments that we do in universities. This is uh, comparatively speaking, a much easier task. It is kind of, you know, uh, concluding all the materials. So the current AI program, this very primitive uh, version of the AI, uh, is quite quite capable of doing this job, you know, for teachers. Uh, in the old days, p teachers might have to read through like 10 books to make the conclusion, but now the AI program can just do that in a second. So they are really useful for teaching, especially in the primary sector. But when we talk about the artificial intelligence in the sectors that are more advanced, like research and development in universities, or as you mentioned, the financial market, the AI is much less capable because, for example, if you look at the financial market, there is no rule in the financial market that is set to say, okay, you just do this one, two, three steps and you're going to make um, a lot of money in the financial market. It, it just never works this way because the financial market is a place where people are fighting against the people. You have to win the other people 
people to get extra return. This is not something the AI program that can do right now, but who knows what will happen after 30 or 40 years. Uh, maybe at that time we will find out that no one can win the AI in the financial market and finally we'll close the financial market because there's no use for human beings to uh, participate into it if we can't win all the AI programs. Mm, a very interesting discussion indeed. Thank you, Chen Jiahe, Chief Investment Officer at Novem Archi Technologies, Liu Baocheng, Professor with the University of International Business and Economics, and also Yan Liang, Professor of Economics, Willamette University. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.